0: Hello, and welcome to the City Church Evansville podcast. My name is Sean Little. I'm the community and teaching pastor here at City. Thanks for joining us. Last week, Lead Pastor Jeff Kincaid began a new series on Habakkuk. The subtitle is Trusting God in Troubling Times. Troubling times are times that are out of our hands and out of our control. In reality, that's much of life, but when we're more aware of our troubling times... Often, there's not anything that we can do but wait, and waiting is troubling in and of itself. So, Lead Pastor Jeff Kincaid continues our new series on Habakkuk, Trusting God in Troubling Times. Well,
1: if you uh, have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me and them to the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, and turn to chapter 2, Habakkuk chapter 2. Maybe you have an old school copy of the Bible. Turn in that to Habakkuk 2. If you don't know where Habakkuk is, don't feel ashamed to look it up in the table of contents. Or maybe you have a digital copy of the Bible. Please feel free to turn there. Look, up, look that up in the table of contents if you need to. But turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. If you're new to City Church, welcome. If you're listening to us online in some way, welcome to you too. Just to catch you up if you're new. Last week, we started a new series here at City Church on the Old Testament book of Habakkuk, a book that I'll bet many of you didn't even know was in the Bible, or if you did, you've probably never been in a a study or heard a sermon uh, series about the book before. Habakkuk is in the Old Testament. It is among what's known as the minor prophets, minor only because of their size, not their importance. Habakkuk deals... With an age-old issue, when things in life don't happen the way that you reason, the way that you think that they should, what do you do? How does it affect you? How do you respond? And what we're really asking, of course, is this. How does it affect your faith? Do you find yourself in those moments in a crisis of faith? Do you question the wisdom of God? Do you question whether God is good, whether he loves you or not, whether he's listening to you? Do you shake your fist at the heavens? Do you fret and worry and scurry and scurry around trying to make what you think ought to happen, happen? All of those things, you know, I think are very human responses to those kinds of circumstances. Because when it comes right down to it, most of us tend to place way too much confidence in human reason as our basis for what is right and wrong in life, for what God should or shouldn't do. I think that's very normal, very human. This morning on the way into church, my wife and I were having a phone conversation in which God's wisdom came into question. I'm going to put it this way, in which she brought God's wisdom into question. My wife is in Dallas today with a couple of my kids visiting her family down there. And as they were visiting, the family began to talk about the college that one of my nephews attends. He goes to Texas A&M University. Anybody know? There you go. He goes to Texas A&M University, a school that had we stayed in Texas, our kids would have likely attended or at least had the opportunity to attend. And my my nephew attends a Bible study there called Breakaway. And that Bible study meets on the campus of Texas A&M. It meets in the basketball arena at Texas A&M because there are 13,000 college students who go to this Bible study. Uh, Not 13,000 who attend the school. There are way more than that. But 13,000 who just attend this Bible study. And that's not all all that unusual. colleges in the South. But while our nephew goes to A&M, two of our kids at the moment attend IU. And even though we love the school, and even though they have thrived there academically and spiritually, you would be hard-pressed to find a small classroom at IU with a Bible study. And that Bible study would have to be off-campus, probably, because it would be highly unlikely that IU, as liberal as it is, would let a Bible study meet on campus. And the question was, that my wife was asking, is why didn't our kids get to attend Texas A&M? Because from her perspective, from, and I have to include myself in this, from my perspective, it seems like it would have been much better for them to be there. Why didn't they get to go there? Doesn't God care about my kids? Is he just trying to make life harder for them every step of the way? Was it a mistake for us to move here to Indiana? And in my wife's reasoning, they'd have had a much better chance of meeting a nice Christian girl they could marry there and then soon provide the grandchildren that we look forward to. There are these times in life when God does or doesn't do something that we, you know, it just seems obvious to us that he should have done or that he shouldn't have done. And we just, we don't understand. He doesn't come through in the way that we think he would come through or the way that we think he should come through. And you're left in those moments waiting, aren't you? Frustrated. Confused. Wondering, waiting for an answer to your prayer. Maybe your aunt, maybe the prayer is just simply, God, why? God, why not? Or God, when? That's where Habakkuk is in this book, especially in chapter one. Habakkuk looks around at the spiritual and moral condition of the nation of Israel. This, what happened to you guys? Habakkuk looks around at the spiritual and moral condition of the nation of Israel, this nation through whom God had promised that he would save the world, and he's confused and he is frustrated that God isn't doing anything about the evil and the injustice of the nation. And in his confusion and frustration, he questions God. And in return, God tells him, (laughs) he says, I've got a plan, but if I told you my plan, you wouldn't believe it. He goes on and he tells Habakkuk. He says, "I'm going to bring. I'm going to deal with Israel's evil and and violence and injustice. I'm going to do it by bringing the violent, unjust, treacherous Babylonian army to carry the nation of Israel away into exile. In other words, I'm going to I'm going to use evil to combat evil. What happened to me? Uh, we, I was told before the service started, we had a problem with our computer back there, so they're fixed. They've, they've got it. You, do you have it fixed? All right. Please show your appreciation to the guys in the tech booth back there. Anytime anything goes wrong, they look down at the, they look down like that, <laughs> which means it's this idiot's fault. That's what they're really saying. When they, yeah, no. So you tell us, back I'm going to deal with the evil. By bringing in the evil Babylonians and and Habakkuk is is I mean that confuses him even more and his response to God in chapter one was something like this Are you crazy? You're going to bring evil to deal with evil? That's your plan? That makes no sense at all. Which is of course exactly what God had predicted when He said you wouldn't believe it if I told you. I want to pick up the reading now in chapter two, verse one, and this is. This is after Habakkuk finishes this question, this, maybe you'd even call it a complaint, about how bizarre he thinks God's plan is. Chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Verse 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation And make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, he is puffed up. He's talking about the Babylonians here. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Now, One quick note before I get into what I really want to talk about this morning. In verse 2, when God says, write what I'm going to tell you down on tablets, he chooses the word, the Hebrew word for tablets, he chooses that word purposefully because he wants to echo the tablets on which Moses, long ago, had written down the covenant that God made with Israel, the Mosaic Covenant. And in doing this, he's saying to Habakkuk, this is extremely important. I want this preserved so that people can read it. People back then, people today, even people in the future. And you know, last week, uh, quite a few of you came up to me at the end of the service and told me how much you appreciated the sermon from Habakkuk 1. And you told me that it was like I was speaking right to you, like I'd been reading your mail. And some of you emailed me to tell me that, that it was perfect timing, that you needed to hear that sermon that day. Do you realize that this is what the Bible means when it says it's alive? That thousands of years after it was written, it is still speaking to people, giving hope, comfort, admonition about life in the here and now. And it, In 2017, and and as much as I appreciate your kind comments and feedback, and I sincerely do appreciate those things, do you realize that it was the Spirit of God speaking to you, not me? Do you realize it was no accident that we were in Habakkuk chapter 1 last week? Do you realize that this is why God had Habakkuk write this down on tablets Because he wanted it to be preserved. Because he knew that you would need to hear on Sunday, July 16th, 2017, last week, he knew that you needed to hear what he said to Habakkuk thousands of years ago. And he had you in mind when he told Habakkuk to write this down. This is why we meet weekly as believers in Christ for worship. It's an opportunity for you to encounter God, to hear from him what he wants to say to you in a way you likely couldn't on your own. And do you realize that when you miss, when you miss worshiping here together on a Sunday, You miss something that God wanted to say to you. What message from God do you miss when you miss? Like you were sure that, you know, you're you're always sure when you miss church that it's like, oh, there's something else I need to do or there's something that you know is like in your mind is like better to do. But while you're doing whatever it is that you're doing instead, your soul is still churning about whatever it is that's on your mind, whatever it is that you're worried about, whatever it is that you're anxious about, whatever it is that you need perspective about. When you miss, what might God have had to say to you that morning that might have given you peace, that might have given you perspective, that would have been a far greater relief to your soul than whatever you did instead? Look, I'm not saying it's wrong to miss church some. Everyone does. My wife clearly does. She's in Dallas this week. I do. I miss. But recognize every time you miss, you miss something that God had to say to you. And you forfeit something every time you miss. Something that thousands of years ago, God had preserved just for you on that day. Okay, I want to get now, let me get to really what I want to talk about this morning. After questioning God about the wisdom of his plan to deal with Israel's evil through the evil of the Babylonians, Habakkuk says, here's what he's saying in these verses, he says he's going to wait for an answer from God. That's what the standing and watching on the ramparts means, and he's talking about that in this passage. It's a, it's a metaphor for waiting. A, ramp, a rampart was a, was a kind of a, a watchtower where guards would stand watch to see if enemies were coming to attack the city. Habakkuk is using this metaphor to say that he's going to be waiting and watching for an answer to his prayer. Now, as I've said, what we're trying to get at in this series is how does faith affect these kinds of situations that we all find ourselves in from time to time? Maybe you're in one of these situations right now when God isn't doing something that you think he should or when he responds to our prayers in a way that makes no sense to us. And what I want to key in on this morning is the topic that Habakkuk brings up of waiting because because more often than I like, frankly, That's the place we find ourselves in, isn't it, often? Confused, frustrated, questioning, and not seeing any specific answer to our questions for understanding. Habakkuk says he's going to wait. And in fact, God even tells him in his answer in verse 3, he says, says, you know, what what I'm saying is it's going to happen. And then he says, though it linger, wait for it. How do we wait? Oh, that's hard to do, isn't it? It's hard to wait. I'm terrible at waiting. How do we wait in these maddeningly frustrating situations in which God isn't doing what we think he should be doing? Or when we see no possible explanation for why, no possible way that this situation can work together for good. Well, I want to show you three things that I see from Habakkuk about waiting. I think are critically important if you're waiting today, if you might find yourself waiting tomorrow. Three things about waiting I think you need to see. And I want to start with this because I think this is the most foundational. When you wait, make sure that you're waiting on the Lord. When you wait, make sure you're waiting on the Lord. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, (laughs) Jeff, that seems pretty obvious. If I'm waiting, what else would I be waiting on? But if you think about it, instead of waiting on the Lord, you could be waiting for him to do what you think he should do. In other words, I'm waiting on God to come through for me in the manner that I think he should come through for me. You're not waiting on the Lord. You're waiting on him to come through for you. But notice what Habakkuk says in verse 1. He says, I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. In other words, Habakkuk is saying, I'm going to go tell the nation of Israel what God wants me to tell them, not what I want, not what I demand. I'm not going to go out and post on Facebook how God has let us down. I'm not going to go tweet about how God can't be trusted. I'm going to wait for God to tell me his answer to my question. I'm not going to wait for him to do what I think he should do. I'm going to wait for him to tell me his answer to my question. But I think to be honest... I include myself in this. The way most of us wait on God is in a kind of foot-stomping, demanding way. If you don't do what I want you to do, I'm out of here, God. I'm not going to believe in you anymore. You can't possibly exist. If you don't do what I want you to do, I'm gone. Or at least I think that's how we wait in the early stages of our relationship with God when we first trust in Christ. And you know, it kind of makes sense that we would do that because when you trust Christ, when you're first in the early stages of your relationship with Christ, you probably trusted Christ out of some need. Out of Maybe you felt empty. Maybe you felt meaningless. Maybe you felt guilty and you wanted forgiveness. Maybe you needed uh, hope and you found that in Christ. You needed He gave. But if your relationship stays at that level, of simply looking for God to give you something, you end up treating Him like a vending machine rather than a person. And by the way, do you understand that God is indeed a person? Actually, three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each their own distinct person and yet each fully God at the same time. But instead of treating him like a person, you treat him like a vending machine. How would you like to be treated like a vending machine? Like I'm with you as long as you, I punch the button, you give me what I want. How would you like to be treated like that? I I, I will tell you that one of the, and I'm not saying this to make anybody feel sorry for me, but... One of the occupational hazards of being a pastor is that this is often how you are treated. I can't tell you how many people over the years who have sworn their love and loyalty to me. And as long as I did what they wanted me to do, they loved me and they were loyal. But as soon as I did something that they disagreed with, something that didn't, uh, you know, wasn't consistent with how they thought I ought to act, as soon as I did that, they fired off a scathing email and left whatever church I was pastoring. treating me like a vending machine. When you wait on the Lord, when you wait on the Lord, you're not waiting on the answer that you want. To wait on the Lord means to love God for who he is in and of himself, and that means to be faithful to him even when you're getting nothing out of it at all, or at least it seems that way. Even when you don't understand, even when you can't make any sense out of your circumstances. That's what it means to wait on the Lord. I trust you. I'm waiting on you. Not what I think you ought to do. I'm waiting on you. Even if I don't get it, I'm with you. And I I think, you see, it's only in the midst of those kinds of situations when God doesn't act in the manner that you think he should, it's only then that you have the opportunity to turn your relationship with God from merely an exploitative one, which is where many of us are, frankly where you just love Him for what He does for you, you have the opportunity in these situations to turn from that kind of exploitative relationship into real love. Where loving Him sometimes seems to be giving you no benefit at all. And it's in these kinds of situations that you may be in right now where you're like, I don't get it, God. I don't know what you're doing. I don't... I don't see how any of this could work together for good. It's in those kinds of situations that God is asking you a question, and I'd like for you to think very, very hard on this question. Maybe this is something that you could focus on the rest of the afternoon as a way to sort of honor the, the idea of the Sabbath. Here's what I think God is asking you. If you're in that situation today, or when you have been, or when you will be, are you in this relationship for me to serve you or for you to serve me? Are you in this relationship for me to serve you like a vending machine or for you to serve me? I just want to pause for a second here, and I want to to just let the Spirit of God, let that question sort of descend on your heart and mind for a moment. Often, if God doesn't do what they want Him to do, they they declare that because this doesn't make any sense to me, there can't be a good God in the universe, I don't believe anymore. And it feels very much like that is a person who is saying, I'm here as long as you serve me, as long as I get something out of this, as long as you're a faithful vending machine. These situations where we don't understand, God's asking you, are you in this for me to serve you or for you to serve me? Which is it? And Ask yourself, which of those is true with you? Habakkuk is frustrated and confused. I think he's even angry, but in the end, he's a servant of God. He says, I'll wait for God to tell me what to say to the nation of Israel. And so make sure when you wait, make sure you wait on the Lord, not the answer that you're hoping to get. Here's the second thing I see about waiting. When you wait, wait in peace. Wait in peace. God says to Habakkuk in verse 3, he says, the revelation, this prophecy, the thing that he says is going to happen, he says, it awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. And then he says, See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now, let me just explain something about that text before I apply it. You have to understand that in prophecy, God often has two time frames in view. And that's true here. There is one time frame in view here that involves Habakkuk's immediate issue the Babylonians. Okay? And in verse 4, he says these people are puffed up, they're arrogant, prideful. And what he's going to say as we read the rest of the book is that he's going to deal with them, that they're going to experience the wrathful justice of God. Yes, they're a great nation right now. Yes, they're going to carry Israel away into exile, but they're going to get theirs. And indeed they do. Babylon ends up being conquered, And the Persian nation, the Persians become their own great nation. And Babylon is gone. It's wiped off the face of the earth. So he's dealing with the immediate issue of the Babylonians. But there's another time frame that's involved here. And that's the end of history, which is yet to happen. In a sense, what's happening is that the judgment on the Babylonians foreshadows the judgment that will come at the end of history on all of the prideful and all of the arrogant of humanity that are too proud to trust in God to live by faith. Okay, So so the immediate issue, Babylonians, but this foreshadows what's going to come. That just like God dealt with the Babylonians, he's going to deal with prideful humanity that refuses to trust in him. And he's saying, it is sure it is going to happen. Write it down. It won't delay. Now, here's the question. Understanding that, what can Habakkuk do to hurry either of these times up? What can he do? Not a thing. God says the revelation awaits an appointed time. It is fixed. It is set. It won't come a minute early, and it won't come a minute late, regardless of what the timing is that Habakkuk would like to see. And so there's no point in Habakkuk scurrying around. There's no point in Habakkuk being anxious about all of this. It's going to happen at God's appointed time, and he can't change it. And so he just needs to wait peacefully. In fact, he can wait peacefully. Because God, who is greater than Habakkuk, has chosen the time, and it is certain that it will happen. Now, here's the thing. Most of us don't wait peacefully, do do we? We wait with enormous amounts of anxiety. Like, we want something from God, and until we get it, we are troubled and we are anxious because we place too much trust in our own reason. We worry ourselves to death with what-if questions that may never happen. This is what is good for me, and I must get it, and I must get it now. And if I don't, then everything is bad. One of my favorite writers is a man by the name of Frederick Buechner. In addition to being a writer, Buechner was an ordained pastor and a theologian. In one of his books, he's writing about a time like this that he experienced. It was about a time in which his daughter was anorexic, and there wasn't anything that he could do about it. He couldn't force her to eat. He couldn't coerce her into eating. He just couldn't do a thing about it, but wait. I want to read to you a portion of what he says about that particular time. I'm not going to put it up on the screen like I normally do, because I want you to get the mental imagery here. Because I'm going to ask you a question at the end. Here's what he writes. He says, I think here of the Tower of London. More particularly, I think of that oldest part of it known as the White Tower, which was built by William the Conqueror in the 11th century. On the second floor of the tower, there is a small chapel called the Chapel of St. John. It is very bare and simple. It is built of uh, all of stone with 12 stone pillars and a vaulted ceiling. The chapel is very silent, very still. It's almost 1,000 years old. You cannot enter it without being struck by the feeling of purity and peace that it gives. And he says, if there's any such thing in the world, it is a holy place. But he goes on. That's not all there is in the White Tower. Directly below St. John's Chapel is the most terrible of all the tower's dungeons. It has a heavy oak door that locks out all light and ventilation. It measures only four feet square by four feet high, so that a prisoner has no way either to stand upright in it or to lie down at full length. There's almost no air to breathe and almost no room to move, and it is known as the little Ease. He says, I am the White Tower, of course, to one degree or another, all of us are. During the time of my daughter's sickness and its aftermath, I began to realize how much of my time I spent in that dark, airless, crippling place where there was no ease at all. Can you relate to where he was during that time in his life? Maybe you're there now. Maybe you've been there before. It seems so impossible to wait peacefully, doesn't it? To wait for an answer to your prayer, or even for understanding about why your prayer wasn't answered in the way that you thought it should have been. Whatever your situation that you're in like this today, could you say that you were waiting peacefully, Right now. Let me ask it this way. Metaphorically, are you in St. John's Chapel right now? Is your soul quiet, restful, trusting, whatever your circumstances? Or, metaphorically speaking, are you in the little ease? Your soul cramped, little air to breathe maybe feeling panic, no light of God's grace and goodness shining in. Is that where you are? The only way that I know to wait peacefully is to wait hopefully. and That leads to the last thing that I see here about waiting from Habakkuk. When you wait, hope in Jesus Christ. When you wait, whatever your circumstance is today, God isn't doing what you think he should. He's not coming through in the way you think he should. Maybe even, maybe you're asking him, why, God, why? And you see no why. You see no reason. You see no way that any of this can work out for good. Wait with hope in Jesus Christ. And let me show you where I get this. The last verse that we read in this passage is one of the most important verses in all of the Bible. Habakkuk says, but the righteous will live by his faith. Now when God says that, remember the context. He is contrasting the coming judgment of the Babylonians and ultimately all of prideful humanity He's contrasting that with the destiny of the righteous. So the righteous will live. The prideful will be judged. And you get the sense when you read it that God intends for this to be hopeful news to Habakkuk and to us. Righteous are going to live because he lives by his faith, and that seems hopeful. But if you have any self-awareness about yourself at all you don't think of yourself as righteous. Like you know too much about yourself to think of yourself that way. You know your pettiness. You know your jealousy. You know your envy. You know your lusts. You know your hate. You know your self-centeredness. And so fine, the righteous will live by his faith, but I'm not righteous, and who is righteous? And the Bible answers, of course, in the New Testament in Romans chapter three, there is none righteous, no, not one. And suddenly this verse that is intended to be hopeful, it doesn't seem hopeful at all. It seems terrible. But what Habakkuk couldn't have explained, the Apostle Paul could. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul wrote, and see if you see anything that sounds familiar in this. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel... What's the gospel? The gospel is believe in Jesus Christ and you are saved. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who, what's the word? Everyone who obeys, no, that's not what it says. Everyone who gets baptized, no, that's not what it says. Everyone who cleans his life up, that's not what it says. Everyone who, what is it? believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. That was his say, way of saying everybody. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. Where was this written? In Habakkuk Chapter 2, verse 5. The righteous will live by faith. What Paul is saying He's elaborating on what Habakkuk wrote. He's saying that the righteousness that Habakkuk speaks of in this verse is a righteousness that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so if you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, boy, I don't think of myself as righteous. Understand you are correct, you are not. There is only one who is righteous. That person was the Lord Jesus Christ. But you can have his righteousness when you believe on him. Not when you stop drinking, not when you stop smoking, not when you stop gambling, not when you stop using drugs, not when you start going to church, but when you believe on Christ. He takes his righteousness and he hands it to you free of charge. All you do is believe. And he can do this because in Jesus Christ's death on the cross, unrighteous sinners like you and me, who are unworthy of a relationship with God in and of ourselves, are made righteous because Jesus Christ became unrighteous on the cross for the very purpose that we could become righteous and we can live By our faith in Christ. He took the punishment for our sins on himself. Now here's here's why I say that when you wait, the only way to wait peacefully is to wait in hope in Jesus Christ. What that means is that instead of looking at the circumstances around you and how confusing, frustrated, hopeless excuse me, frustrating, hopeless they look. Instead of looking at those circumstances, look at Jesus Christ. Because the thing that made the least sense in all of the world, the thing that was the most unbelievable, that you wouldn't have believed it if God would have told you beforehand, that even angels look into because they don't understand it, the need that God met in a way you would have never believed came through the cross of Jesus Christ. There, the greatest travesty in the world, the greatest injustice in the world, the greatest wrong in the world took place on the cross. And yet out of all of that evil that made Christ suffer on the cross and out of all of the injustice that was done to him there, out of all of that came your righteousness if you have believed on Christ, Now look, listen to me. If God can bring something so good out of something so evil that you would have never guessed could have happened, that you would have never believed it, it would be the last thing that you would have ever thought of. If God can bring something so good out of something so bad, I promise you, this is what Habakkuk is trying to say. He can bring good out of your circumstances. Just you wait peacefully. Looking at Christ, not your circumstances. And in the end, he will put all of the evil and suffering and injustice in the world to rights. Hope is looking at Jesus and saying, if God can bring good out of the cross, there's nothing he can't bring good out of even my circumstances. It may not happen in the way that I want it to. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. It may not be in my timing. Though it linger, wait for it. In some way, someday, my faith in God will be vindicated, that he will put all of this to rights, and I will see, perhaps in eternity, I will see how God used this, according to his wisdom, for good. And I know this because of the cross of Christ. If he can bring good out of that, he can bring good out of anything. And that hope brings peace. The Apostle Paul wrote at the end of the book of Romans, I would say this to you today May the God of hope fill you in the midst of your circumstances with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. I hope that's what you experience by hoping in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can I come full circle? I have peace about why God didn't have my kids go to Texas A&M. I know that it's because He didn't want them to be Aggies. That would have been a terrible curse for them to live with for the rest of their lives. And so he wanted them to be Hoosiers, which is why he sent them to IU. Do you have joy? Do you have peace this morning? Are you waiting on the Lord? Are you waiting on your answer? Are you waiting peacefully? The only way to wait peacefully is to look at the cross of Christ. Because if God can bring good out of that, he can bring good out of anything. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much this morning for a a passage of Scripture like Habakkuk. That although it was written so long ago, you wanted it written for us today, this morning. There are people in this room, Lord, that you had in mind all of those years ago. You wanted Habakkuk to write it down for them today. Lord I pray that today that you would take your through the power of your spirit that you would apply this deeply to the hearts of these folks for those here today Lord that have may never heard that salvation isn't about obedience and it's not about being good and it's not about cleaning up your life for those who are here today that may not have ever heard that before maybe they've they've thought to themselves you don't have to wait till I clean up my life before God would ever want me would you speak to them today Lord Lord, by the power of Your Spirit, would You show them that what You want from them is not to clean up their life, but to believe in Christ, who was their life, who died on the cross for their sin. And Then, Lord, for the for those that are here today, that maybe they're dealing with some circumstance that they don't understand. Lord, would You give a peace today? Just speak into their hearts. We know that You can, and we know that You want. To. Would You give them ears to hear?
0: I wonder if you've taken mental notes about what you're waiting for or why you're waiting to the extent that you're willing to reflect and be introspective and identify what it is that you're waiting on. You can be reminded that you can wait patiently That you can wait peacefully, even purposefully, and hopefully, knowing that the cross changes everything, even how we wait. God wants you to flourish. He desires for you to have life and have it abundantly and eternally. God desires that for you so much that Jesus has secured that for you, if only you Believe in the Lord Jesus. So as you wait, wait well, even this week, knowing that God is for you, that the cross changes everything, and that the cross can even change how you wait. Thank you again for tuning in to the City Church Evansville podcast. We'd love to have you out on a Sunday at either 9.15 or 11 a.m. at 314 Market Street in downtown Evansville.